because the Department of Justice should be above reproach for the good of the country, Attorney General Sessions should resign. I have recused myself uh, in the matters uh, that deal with the Trump campaign. What you saw three nights ago is literally what I see every day. The boundless optimism, the energy, and an unshakable faith in the American people and the ability of the American people to make America great again. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right. Happy Friday, everybody. It's Friday. TGIF, and uh, welcome to the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. We wrap up this busy week. I can't believe... It is already Friday, and it's March, and it's the 3rd of March, and we're already approaching uh, spring before you know it. And we already have another Sunday show upon us, neilacaruso.com, where we will be live Sunday at 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, all in between because you know we do not forget about middle America here on this program. And we will uh, we have a jam-packed program, a lot on uh, immigration we'll have. Uh, some highlights from my interview with immigration expert Michael Cutler, a uh, retired immigration agent, in fact, uh, about drugs and about the drugs in our local communities. Uh, what you will hear uh, will probably shock you, and it's important uh, to get that information out there. So that will be on the Sunday show, uh, and uh, we just actually sat down in person for the interview the other day. So we have a, a lot planned for you on Sunday, but uh, let's get into the news for today. You know, after yesterday, we went through the litany of facts that involved Senator or then Senator Jeff Sessions, now Attorney General Sessions, who has since recused himself, which I applaud, uh, to recuse himself from any investigation of uh, Russia and the election, even though what we know is that Russia could not have hacked the election because, uh, well, number one, uh, no votes were changed. Um, and Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Uh, but besides that, we went through the facts of uh, Sessions' communication with ambassadors as part of his job in the Armed Service Services Committee, uh, uh, Committee excuse me, of the uh, U.S. Senate. And it was his job to communicate with Russian ambassadors. Uh, and, you know, now we come out uh, a day later where all of a sudden we learn more about the Russians, we learn about the Democrat side of things, and I gotta tell you, it's not too pretty, it isn't. So if you're outraged over Russia having any contact with Americans, well, you're gonna be shocked by this right now. Um, after months of Democrats crying foul and dogging the Trump administration over its uh, alleged ties to Russia, even though what we know is that Lieutenant Michael, uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn had conversation with Russian ambassadors in preparation to his job. He lied about that. That's why he was fired. Number two, Sessions communicated with Russian ambassadors as part of his job in the Senate and had nothing to do with the campaign. 
Those are the things that we know. Uh, Paul Manafort had some business. He was the former campaign manager, the second campaign manager, in fact. And he uh, was he resigned um, after that story came out, even though, you know, uh, no, no real there there came out um, about him. Uh, and the other person is Rex Tillerson, but Rex Tillerson was working on behalf of his company, ExxonMobil, and trying to get the best deal for his company in order uh, to work with all these governments. And frankly, any secretary of state should have some sort of experience in working with foreign leaders. And it's all about negotiation with these leaders. But what we find out now is that Obama's White House, in fact, set up the first meeting between Senator Sessions— and the Russian ambassador uh, being uh, Sergei Kislak. And when I looked into Sergei uh, Kislak today, what you find is that he's very well known inside and outside the Beltway. He is someone who uh, communicates with uh, American ambassadors, as is his job. And um, apparently, unlike any other ambassador to the U.S., Kislak spends a lot of time discussing foreign policy, specifically Russian and American, uh, the Russia-U.S. Uh, foreign policy with people whom no one would ever speak with about these issues. Uh, normal people, what are they thinking? And this is what he is doing on behalf of his country. So, you know, he's doing a good, seems like he is representing his country well. I don't know how smart our American ambassadors are in communicating with um, the uh, countries of which they're the ambassador to. Um, but regardless, Sergei Kislyak is, is very well known and communicated with Sessions, as I said, when he was the member of the Senate Armed Services Committee and um, an occasional surrogate, not really a, a surrogate, more of a, you know, brought him to Alabama twice um, for the Trump campaign. However, today, a new report, Hans von Spakovsky, the journalist for FoxNews.com, gets this report today that the meetings um, were actually uh, put out by the Obama administration. So when you, from this report, uh, Hans von Spakovsky, again, the journalist for FoxNews.com, found out that the first meeting came at a conference, the first meeting between uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, then uh, Senator Sessions, and uh, Sergey Kislyak, the Russian ambassador to the U.S. The first meeting between them was not much of a meeting at all. It came at a conference on global partners in diplomacy, where Sessions was the keynote speaker, sponsored by the U.S. State Department, the Heritage Foundation, and several other organizations, uh, and it was held in Cleveland during the Republican National Convention. This is what it says on uh, the um, on the conference's website. The conference, an educational program for ambassadors invited by the Obama State Department to observe the convention. The Obama State Department handled all of the coordination with ambassadors and their staff, of which there were about 100 at the conference. So let me just go over that one more time for those who weren't clear. The conference happened about uh, in July, late July, at the Republican National Convention in Cleveland, Ohio. This is when uh, Senator, then-Senator Jeff Sessions, met with Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak. Now, Sessions is a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee. His job was to speak with 
ambassadors from all around the world, not just Russia. That is his job. That is in his job description, as is the case for Democrats as well. And the conference was hosted by the Obama administration's State Department. They handled all of the coordination with ambassadors and their staff. There were 100 ambassadors. After Sessions finished speaking, he was a keynote speaker. A small group of ambassadors, including Russian ambassador Sergei Kislov, approached the senator as he left the stage. As Sessions left the stage and thanked him for his remarks. That was the first so-called a meeting. Hardly an occasion, just a, you know, brief little thing. And was anything discussed about the campaign? No, that wasn't the point of the conference either. But the Obama administration, ironically, set up this first meeting that uh, Sessions had. So you're getting now the details of, well, he just him just doing his job, uh, but also what really happened. And um, not only was Kislock uh, invited for this conference in July, but Sergey Kislock visited the Obama White House at least 22 times between 2009 and 2016. This according to the White House guest log, which is a public document. The latest meeting took place barely a few months ago, in September 2016, between the ambassador and senior Obama advisor John Holdren. The visitor's log, which includes the number of attendees and with whom the ambassador was meeting, shows that most of the appointments had less than five guests. So he was very prominent in those meetings with the Obama administration as uh, late as September 2016. Congressional Democrats now, were they too cozy with the Russian diplomat? Well, um, there are reports that the ambassador, the Russian ambassador, met with at least seven Democratic senators in 2013. One of those senators, Claire McCaskill, who was a, a blatant hypocrite um, this week when she tweeted that she never met the Russian ambassador. And that came out yesterday, but I didn't bring it up because I wanted to get some more details on the other Democrats. But let me tell you what McCaskill tweeted. Um, so uh, on Twitter, Claire McCaskill, a senator from a Democratic senator from Missouri, tweeted that she had been on the Armed Services Committee for 10 years, but no call or meeting with a Russian ambassador, ever. Ambassadors call members of Foreign Relations Committee. This is a quote, what she said, that she never had a call or a meeting with the Russian ambassador ever, she said. Quickly proven untrue, because if you go back in her Twitter, you find out that McCaskill twice wrote messages about meetings with Kislock, the Russian ambassador, in 2013 and 2015. She wrote on Twitter on January 30th, 2013, Quote, off to meeting with Russian ambassador, upset about the arbitrary, cruel decision to end all U.S. adoptions, even those in process, end quote. Then on August 6, 2015, Senator McCaskill wrote, quote, today's calls, or today calls with British, Russian, and German ambassadors regarding Iran deal, hashtag doing my homework. Yeah, she was doing her job, but, um... It's one thing to do your job, and it's another then to, when it's politically convenient, claim that you never met with the Russian ambassador. Maybe you should check what you put online. 
and obviously factcheck.org and numerous organizations have labeled McCaskill's latest claim that she had no conversation with Russian ambassadors, which would be really a breach of her job. They claim, they write that that claim is false. All the fact checkers going after McCaskill. Now, what are the details of those meetings, you may ask? Well, I could tell you, McCaskill's 2013 meeting was one involving a total of seven Democratic senators. She joined also several Republicans and six other Democratic senators that day. In an appeal to Kislak for Moscow, she reversed its blockade of U.S. adoptions of Russian children. And I can tell you who the other Democratic senators in that meeting were. Uh, Mary Landrieu of Louisiana, Mary, uh, Maria Cantwell of Washington, Amy Klo uh, Klobuchar of Minnesota, Jack Reed of Rhode Island, Pennsylvania's Robert Casey, and Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island. Um, Klobuchar sent a statement after that meeting, by the way. Uh, Klobuchar um, from uh, Minnesota, excuse me, uh, sent a statement afterward that she was able to tell Kislock the stories of families she met in Minnesota. And Landrieu is no longer a current senator. She lost her scene in 2014. Now, in addition to that, President Trump today tweeted in his very powerful Twitter a picture of Senator Chuck Schumer. And what is he doing? He is meeting in a very happy picture. He looks very happy cozying up there in a picture with Vladimir Putin over coffee. Oh, what Trump is the one who's best friends with Vladimir Putin. Wrong. That is false. Um, and it's hysterical because what has the line been? You see on Saturday Night Live, you know, the uh, Trump and Putin making out, uh, the, you know, nonsense okay then actually people believe that he's friends with putin wrong okay never met him because if he did we would see pictures like this one that president trump just trolled schumer on today and he has tweeted that we should start an immediate investigation into senator schumer and his ties to russia and putin a total hypocrite trump says well, then it's pretty hypocritical. If you come out and say that you cannot have any conversations with the Russians, that that is somehow um, uh, espionage, when your job is to communicate with other nations so that you could put United States interests first and find out ways that we can advance liberty and freedom. That's the goal of meeting with ambassadors. It's called diplomacy. I guess they forget what that is because they have all these special interests that they're more concerned about, and they're more concerned about re-election, okay? And this is part of the draining the swamp problem that we have. So we already have four ongoing investigations. Trump said, hey, why don't we have an immediate investigation to Schumer? Because the picture there shows a very clear closing up over coffee between Senator Schumer and Vladimir Putin. And then Trump later tweeted, I hereby demand a second investigation after Schumer and Pelosi for her close ties to Russia and lying about it. So the hypocrisy of the left continues. And really it's hypocritical of all politicians because they just do as politically convenient. And that's what's re refreshing about President Trump is that he is not beholden to special interests. And listen, believe me, they'd like to nail him. 
And if there was anything on him, they would nail him by now. Um, meanwhile, Senator Schumer is also in the news for a really ugly story. Schumer pulled visa strings. I wonder what Michael Cutler would think about this. He pulled the visa strings for an Indian athlete now accused of child sex abuse. And the allegations do not look good. So let me tell you about this story. A snowshoe racer from India who's entering to the U.S. to compete was made possible by Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer was being held in court today in New York on a sex charge. The U.S. Embassy in New Delhi uh, last month rejected Tanvir uh, Hussein, is his name, his application for a visa so he could compete in the World Snowshoe Championship in upstate New York. Local officials intervened on Hussein's behalf. How nice of them to get involved and make sure that this foreign athlete gets in even though his application was rejected. And so you have Senator Schumer and Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, both Democrats of New York. Their offices reached out to the New Delhi Embassy, which allowed Hussein to reapply for a visa and granted that visa to the U.S. Now, Hussein's lawyer said that he, this is a troubling matter for him, and even pretty much admitted that there was a young girl, a 12-year-old girl, that was, quote, following him. But why is he being charged? Well, he's being charged, this Tanvir Hussein, a snowshoe athlete. Is that really a, a, an athletic? I don't know if that is really... Can you consider yourself an athlete? If you're, I don't know, I just want to take an unnecessary shot, I guess. Um, but anyway, this person, Tanvir Hussein, this athlete from India, is being charged for first-degree sexual abuse, a felony, and another uh, account of endangering the welfare of a child, a misdemeanor. This is from Hussein, quote, engaging in a passionate kiss with a 12-year-old girl and accusations of the athlete touching her over the clothing in a, quote, intimate area. And how nice of Senator Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand to get involved to make sure that his visa got approved. Maybe they should just focus on United States citizens and focus on doing their job to bring jobs back to New York that have left, to end sanctuary cities, to bring back law and order into New York, a thriving economy, bring back jobs that have left, hardworking, blue-collar jobs that New Yorkers pride themselves on. And instead, Schumer and Gillibrand allow someone to come in that shouldn't have been here in the first place and was rejected by the embassy in New Delhi. And I wonder why he was rejected. You know, you start to wonder, what was the reasoning? Well, I'm sure there was a good reason. It'll come out someday, right? Um, all right, we will um, continue. I want to tell you um, quick about... Uh, our Heroes Night Out um, had an event uh, this uh, today, Friday, as we're recording this podcast. And, um, you know, what an amazing uh, organization it is. Uh, they really do um, spectacular work to ensure that veterans are taken care of. Um, we have 39,500 homeless veterans on a given night 
many of whom uh, fought for our country, whether in combat or elsewhere. Uh, we've spotlighted vets a lot on this program. I love this song, by the way. Lee, Lee Greenwood. One of my favorite songs. Um, so our heroes tonight out, uh, led by uh, Carol Klein, MismatchTheClown.com. They had an uh, incredible event, and I was uh, really fortunate to be a part of this evening and uh, attending that on uh, on Friday. Um, and they put together a, a magic show. They put together a, um, a comedy act uh, member. Um, uh, they had magician, uh, comedy, uh, singers, uh, local band that performed. And they cooked dinner for these veterans and gave them a really wonderful night out. And from talking to these veterans, and from people who work at the VFW, Veterans of Foreign Wars, uh, out on Long Island, New York, you get to talk to them, and they, without even, you do not even have to mention the president, you don't have to mention the policies, but they all say exactly what Trump has been saying all along. That is, they should be getting health care for free for the rest of their lives. After giving up their life, and they come back with post-traumatic stress disorder, they're suffering. They come back. They have a hard time getting employment. You have people who show utter disrespect, namely young people, by the way, because more people I talk to and from personal experiences a very tremendous lack of disrespect from young people. And what I find is that they say, listen, they need to go to any hospital that they deserve to go to. They really do. Go to a private hospital and get the government to pay for it. So we're going to continue to spotlight bets issues. We'll talk a little bit probably about this on Sunday. MismatchTheClown.com, Our Heroes Night Out. Give back directly to vets and, frankly, give your time. The more time that you spend to help these veterans, the better it is uh, for them, for their psyche. And, listen, you got to give back because we're so fortunate here in the United States to be blessed with freedom and sovereignty. And freedom is not free. More of the Neil A. Cruz's Show podcast when we come back. tell you the important things in life it's the neil, neil a. Caruso, caruso show and the neil a caruso show podcast log on to neilacaruso.com when it comes to saving money don't act like a baby goo goo gaga be the boss and make a budget i'm the boss baby you're the boss of me i am the boss of you i'm not m2 i'm not m2 Need a little help? Aren't you gonna do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Whoa! Let's get crazy! In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in too. Just so you know, in real-life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Come on, jump in! Come on! Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
not only great, we're going to be greater than ever before. You watch. You watch. Yes, you watch. Watch the Neil Crusoe Show Sundays at noon Eastern and listen to the Neil Crusoe Show podcast on NeilAcruso.com. FBI Director James Comey came out today and said that Mexican drug cartels are fueling the heroin epidemic mm-hmm. um, that's sweeping the U.S. Uh, that heroin epidemic here in New York on Long Island out east, um, also New Hampshire, it's big, all over the country. Let me tell you, not to interrupt, but I've traveled all over the United States and because of my background, I've um, always happy to meet with fellow law enforcement officials. I've been doing ride-alongs and visiting prisons and wherever I go, the number one story, heroin. Yeah. Gangs and heroin, you'd be astounded. I mean, whether you go to North Carolina, whether you go to Minnesota, whether you go um, to uh, Montana, wherever I've gone, story after story, South Carolina, heroin. Wow. Heroin overdoses, crimes committed because of heroin. It, we're flooded. And one thing I want your audience to understand, we do not manufacture a single gram of heroin inside the United States. Every single gram of heroin was smuggled into the country. In fact, right. a, a local school, and I forgot which district, announcing that they're providing Narcan and the training and the use of Narcan to yet another public school in this area. Imagine the level of addiction that we're dealing with that public schools, the New York City public school system has provided Narcan to the nurses. So with all that for a backdrop, and think of the damage it does to young lives. Sure. Think of the violent crimes that are committed by people desperate for their fix. So the entire underbelly is rotting, and what's rotting us is addiction to narcotics. So what FBI Director Comey said today was that um, the heroin, they've been lacing it in prescription pills. Mm -hmm. So they actually get them hooked on, well, because they're taking prescription pills, they get them hooked on heroin by lacing the pills, and they say that production of heroin actually grew 160% from 2013 to 2014. This is according to uh, the DEA. Um, That trend continued the next two years uh, with a 64% increase in um, cultivation in Mexico. So it's coming in. So is it being uh, being produced in Mexico and then coming here in a drug cartel? As far as I know, you know, I was uh, the first immigration agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA back in 1988. In 1991, I was promoted to the position of senior special agent assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So although I I always carried an immigration badge, I I spent a good part of my time doing both terrorism as well as narcotics investigations. Uh, They're sourcing it from multiple places, but I'm going to guess, and and I don't have up-to-date information. Sure. I can reach out to sources, though, that most of it is the the brown tar heroin that's coming across from Mexico. Um, and, And these people are among the most pernicious criminals you can imagine. Look, you have uh, El Chapo Guzman being held in Lower Manhattan. He's going on trial in the Eastern District of New York. That's where we are right now. Yes. So if you go to Roosevelt Avenue, you know, originally the Colombians were moving the bulk of drugs into the United States. If you remember the TV series Miami Vice. Sure. I know you're a little young for that, (laughs) but I remember it quite well. And, and my friends were part of the drug task force back then, the Haida groups, high, uh, high uh, density trafficking. We flooded Florida with the Coast Guard, the Navy. We went after the drug trafficking. 
So the Colombians could no longer be successful in bringing their speedboats, they call them cigarettes, up from Colombia. So that's when they started cutting deals with Mexico. Uh, we were also prosecuting the leaders of the cartels in Colombia. So this way they knew they were giving up a big chunk of their profit, but they were getting security and they were able to successfully get the drugs across the Mexican border. Remember, we're hitting a moving target here. If we make the Mexican border impassable, it will inconvenience the traffickers. It won't stop them. Right. I mean, look, if they have to put it on drones and fly it across the border, they're going to find a way. The financial incentives are beyond anything you could imagine if you don't have a sense of morality. If, right. you're, if you're willing to kill and you're willing to destroy human lives because you're in that kind of a feeding frenzy for wealth, then they will find a way. They have submarines. They, you know, understand they stop at nothing and they don't have to answer to a bureaucracy. That's one of the big problems law enforcement has. As an agent, if I want to take an action, I have to write up an operations proposal. I have to go to my bosses. They've got to go to their bosses. The cartels look at a situation and in 24 hours, they can change the way they're operating. They're not bound by a bureaucracy. They've got a guy in charge who says, this is what we're doing starting tomorrow morning. And they move. Mm -hmm. We want to change direction. The bureaucracy has an awful lot of inertia. We're trying to steer a, a big ship, and they're, 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 they're running around in a little canoe, basically, compared to the inertia they deal with. Right. And these folks are violent. They will stop at nothing. And by the way, back in 1989, when I was assigned to DEA Intel, I did an analysis of arrest statistics. Do you know that in New York City, 60% of the people we were arresting at the DEA task force were foreign-born? for drug trafficking. That high. That high, New York City. New York also has the greatest number of illegal aliens in the country. They do. So understand the nexus. Smuggling is smuggling is smuggling. To a and that's smuggler, how they make their money. Yes, and to a smuggler, whether he's moving a load of aliens or a load of drugs or both, or using the aliens to conceal the drugs. We've had the heroin swallowers going back to the 70s coming in from Africa. All right, back here on the Neil A. Kurtzler Show podcast that was part of my interview with retired Immigration and Naturalization Service agent Michael Cutler, and he joined me in studio for an interview that will air on Sunday at 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, all in between across the United States and the world for that matter, but you know we are uh, American-centric uh, on the program. America first. That's right, and Americans first. Uh, and on Sunday, we will have that interview for you, or at least we're going to have highlights of the interview on Sunday afternoon's program to talk about the drugs and how it is in uh, our local communities and from an agent who has arrested criminals in uh, these communities, uh, and he has served in multiple positions, not just on the federal level, uh, but he has also seen it on the local level as well, and a very well-respected uh, immigration agent who has testified on Capitol Hill in front of the 9-11 Commission uh, following uh, the terrorist attack on 9-11 uh, on, on the World Trade Center. Um, well, well, I guess that's a segue, although a, uh, a negative one, to talk about uh, an arrest today that was made in connection to the Jewish Center bomb threats. Um, there has been a number of uh, JCCs targeted uh, in the U.S., and uh, a arrest has been made on Friday. A 31-year-old arrested in St. Louis over his connections to at least eight anti-Semitic bomb threats throughout the United States. Now, 
This is going to shock you who this is. According to ABC News, Juan Thompson is accused by federal prosecutors of conducting a, quote, campaign to harass and intimidate stretching from January 28th to February 22nd. Thompson allegedly called in bomb threats against the Anti-Defamation League, a Jewish history museum, as well as Jewish schools and community centers. Now, Juan Thompson is a former reporter for The Intercept, and he was fired last year after publishing false reports. And The Intercept, ironically accused President Trump's allies of being behind the bomb scares. Imagine. You are fake news. So they accuse the intercepts of President Trump's allies being behind the bomb scares. I mean, do they realize President Trump's son-in-law is Jewish, who is his top advisor? Do they realize that his daughter converted to Judaism? You know, and they're trying to say Trump is an anti-Semite? you got to be kidding me. And the ironic part is, and it's always irony, Juan Thompson, a former reporter for that liberal uh, website, The Intercept, um, is the one that is being accused for a campaign to harass and intimidate and going after Jewish centers. The criminal complaint goes on to say, quote, In recent months, the FBI has been investigating a series of threats across the country, principally targeting Jewish community centers uh, and other organizations that provide service to and on behalf of the Jewish community. The FBI has concluded that Juan Thompson is involved with these threats. Uh, According to NYPD Commissioner James O'Neill, the defendant caused havoc expending hundreds of hours of police and law enforcement resources to respond and investigate these threats. We will continue to pursue those who peddle fear, making false complaints, uh, false claims about serious crimes. Now, all well and good. We got the guy, okay? If he did this, he is a real, you know what? I don't have to say it. I don't think I have to say it. You know where I am thinking. The guy's a real jerk, to say the least. Real son of a bee. Um, if he did this. Okay? And to expend our NYPD resources to this nonsense. Now, this uh, liberal uh, writer, if you look at his Twitter feed, it is abhorrent. Included in his Twitter feed are. Uh, complaint rants and raves over a variety of issues, including President Trump, okay, obviously anti-Trump, capitalism, white supremacy, and his ex-girlfriend. He's very, um, very open on his Twitter. And a couple of things that he's written, well, he went after, um, uh, oh, he thanked Chris Cuomo of CNN, saying, thinks there, um, uh, there was such a thing. Oh, maybe he's not. He's going after Chris Cuomo. I'm sorry. I'm just kind of going off of this as I'm reading the tweet. Thinks there's such a thing as shaming white folk. You're an idiot, he calls Chris Cuomo on Twitter. White people have no shame. History taught us that. Hashtag DNC debate. This was in February of 2017. Okay, so he's obviously racist. Um, Trump isn't attending the White House Correspondents' Dinner also because he's a coward who can't take people making fun of him. Um, why? I mean, first of all, 
if you really believe that, I mean, why should he stand up there and get attacked all night when he can be working for the American people, which is his job, instead of poking fun at himself or others? I mean, maybe he just wants to work, okay? Um, and his public profile includes the line, you show me a capitalist and I'll show you a bloodsucker. Meanwhile, as you know, the rise of anti-Semitic attacks has not gone unnoticed by President Trump, whose daughter and son-in-law are Jewish, and he said in a speech to Congress, recent threats, this was on uh, Tuesday's joint session, recent threats targeting Jewish community centers and vandalism of Jewish cemeteries, as well as last week's shooting against a sitting remind us that while we may be a nation divided on policies, we are a country that stands united in condemning hate and evil in all of its forms. And then to go off of this, a very vile BuzzFeed story, and I don't trust BuzzFeed. I don't think it's a real source. I mean, they perpetrated uh, the or propagated the um, fake news report about the dossier uh, that, you know, alleged that Trump was peeing on mattresses. Seriously. You are fake news. Um, Ann Peterson, a senior BuzzFeed writer, believes that Ivanka Trump intentionally hides her Jewish faith to remain more, quote, palatable to the American public. Seriously? She's been very open about her Jewish faith. In fact, she, on uh, the Sabbath, uh, does not uh, work. Um, and that's pretty well known um, that she celebrates the Jewish religion. In fact, on the inauguration day, she had to get special permission to stay out late. Because that was uh, Shiva night, I think. And uh, she had to get special permission from a rabbi to stay out late because her father was being inaugurated as the president of the United States. So this is totally um, wrong. Uh, the article analyzes Ivanka's social media accounts and public persona, claiming that Trump's daughter suppresses her Jewish identity to, quote, compose a particularly 21st century propaganda aesthetic, one that attempts to blind us to the discrimination and destruction committed by her father and prompt performed in the name of rebuilding America. Wow. I mean, it's a mouthful, but she suppresses her identity as a, as a Jewish female to blind us. What? Like, seriously? Get a life. The author goes on to bash Ivanka. Okay. I thought children were off limits, but clearly a uh, double standard here, blasting Ivanka for not being outspoken during a wave of anti-Semitic attacks in the U.S. Didn't she tweet immediately, like, you know, we need to condemn all of this? It's unreal. It really is. It, it is unbelievable. I actually saw a tweet, I forget what it's about now, um, but it had to do with, um, had to do with uh, Ivanka, um, and, or not Ivanka, Chelsea Clinton and Kellyanne Conway, and let me, uh, try to find that for you while I, um, while I'm recording this. Uh, I just found it was an interesting thing. Uh, here we go. Um, somebody had a statement on, um, Kellyanne Conway at the congressional dinner, um, uh, and said, in one of the lines of the statement, I decided to use, was a comedian, I guess, I decided to use that joke uh, due to the large social media backlash over her inappropriate posture, considering there were more than 60 HBCU presidents uh, in the room. Okay? 
inappropriate posture. Okay, she was trying to take a picture. We went over this, and they attack Kellyanne. Okay, because she doesn't obviously she's not a liberal, so they attack her. And Chelsea Clinton even said this is despicable. I hope Kellyanne receives the apology she deserves. Certainly never thought I'd write that, and I mean every word. And Kellyanne said thank you. As strong women and moms, uh, we appreciate you speaking out on this. They just go after anyone they don't agree with politically, and it's sick. Um, and so anyway, um, let's get on to some positive news on this uh, Friday. Why not, right? Um, President Trump, uh, let me play you a clip uh, from his weekly address. Uh, he talks, we talked about our heroes now in the military. This is what President Trump uh, had to say in his weekly address, which he recorded uh, in his uh, Navy jacket uh, down in Virginia yesterday. And uh, here is the Commander-in-Chief. We must continue to renew the American spirit in order to rebuild our country, and rebuild it we will. On Tuesday, before a joint session to Congress, I laid out a version, I hope you all watched, for how to accomplish that national rebuilding. My vision includes the elimination of the defense sequester, which has imposed steep cuts on our military. We must give our sailors, soldiers, airmen, Marines, and Coast Guardsmen the tools, equipment, resources, and training they need to get the job done and get it done right, especially in these very dangerous times. The active duty Army has been reduced by more than 85,000 men since 2009, and we have over 18,000 fewer active duty Marines. Air Force, it's the smallest it's been since 1947, and their planes are, on average, nearly 30 years old, if you can believe that. Our Navy's fleet is the smallest it's been since World War I, and that's a long time ago. Frontline Navy and Marine strike fighter aircraft are more likely to be down for maintenance than to be in the sky. We cannot afford to continue down this path. My budget will give America's armed forces the resources they need to achieve full and total military preparedness to meet any and all global challenges. And meet them, we will. Investing in the military means investing in peace, because the best way to prevent war, as George Washington said, is to be prepared for it. Most importantly, an investment in the military is an investment in the incredible men and women who serve our country in uniform. They are the best of us. They are the greatest force for peace and justice the world has ever known. And we will support them every single step of the way. These are truly exciting times. Amazing opportunities are unfolding before us to strengthen our military, to reboot our economy, and to bring back our jobs. If we all work together and put our country first, then anything is possible. Let us seize this moment and make the most of this incredible opportunity for national renewal. May God bless the men and women of our military, and may God bless the United States of America, the country we love. Part of President Trump's weekly address, and it was um, 
uplifting. It was, uh, it, he's totally right. Um, you know, again, I was at this, um, event with our heroes signed out on Long Island, uh, mismatchtheclown.com, by the way, if you want to check it out, we always play, um, the advertisement on our Sunday show. And, um, you know, I was talking to people from the VFW and, you know, no politics involved. It's not a political thing. Um, it's just about taking care of those who fight for our freedom and our nation's sovereignty to come back homeless and unemployed. And guess what? I talked to them tonight. They do it again. They would do it again. It's amazing. I, the mentality that they have. And many are so religious. And they thank God every day that they're still alive. It's unbelievable. Honestly, for anyone that does that you don't know, you don't appreciate what law enforcement does, you don't appreciate the military, you don't know what goes on, go talk to a veteran. In 15 minutes, you will be humbled on your ass. It is unbelievable what these men and women go through, and you talk to them and you hear their, their story. Their per, everyone has a personal story. And they are the best of us. Would you stand a post? That's what you have to ask yourself. Would you stand opposed to fight for our entire country's freedom when the Islamic State and others have put an all-out war on the United States? And if you think I'm being overdramatic, well, Fox News had an exclusive, and you're going to say, oh, Fox News. Uh, yeah, well, they do great journalism over there, and they did a report where they actually interviewed ISIS terrorists who were jailed in Iraq, and they interviewed them and asked them why they did what they did, and they said, because we hate America. We hate American values. You're disgusting, and we have a license. They call it a license to kill. This is not made up. This is not false. This is not being um, uh, a war hog, okay? This is real life. And you need to wake up and get your head, if you are, out of your you-know-what and see what's going on in this world. They have waged war on the United States. And for people that are fighting for us and fighting for our nation, God bless them. And they deserve all the support that we can give them, which includes uh, not monetary but goods, food, shelter, the basics. They don't need much. They just want a roof over their head and food in their belly and a bed. That's all they want, which is unbelievable. Incredible people. So President Trump is spot on there. And so when talking to the VFW, they um, they said, you know, we want to bring patriotism back. And no, no word about the president, no word about politics is about bringing patriotism back. And they go in the schools and they try to show kids what freedom is all about and what the United States is all about because they don't know and why would they why would they know any better but you teach them young about our country about the history and that's why history is so important to understand our history and they go in the schools and I teach them about our national anthem about our flag uh, about uh, pride in the country and why you should, uh, why you should be proud to live in this country as a 
democracy is a uh, promoter of freedom and liberty and rights for all people. Uh, It's something to be proud of. You know, so when Trump says, we salute one American flag, uh, he means it. And and it is something that we should all um, aspire to do, especially if you know the history of this country and uh, what our great veterans go through. Um, you know, like I said, 39,500 veterans homeless nationwide every night. Uh, I met a few this evening who, um, are living in their cars. They don't have homes. They're living at the VA, which is not, uh, you know, a beautiful facility. Illegal immigrants are treated better than our veterans. You know, I like to see Chuck Schumer... Uh, you know, talk more about veterans and talk about um, supporting them over uh, getting special visa approval for those that commit sex crimes. It's unbelievable. Um, More positive news. Trump touring uh, Orlando's uh, private school, um, touting um, uh, his education plan. He visited St. Andrew Catholic School in Pine Hills, not far from uh, Kirkman Road and West Colonial Drive, if you're familiar with Orlando, Florida. President Trump um, arrived there after 1 o'clock this afternoon, and he talked about school vouchers. Um, and that was basically a, a, a big part of his uh, discussion there were school vouchers. He took pictures or some pictures that are pretty cute uh, with some of the students there at the uh, Catholic school. And uh, talked about um, not only school voucher programs, but school choice um, and charter schools. Um, There are about 300 students in the kindergarten through fifth grade faith-based Catholic school, uh, St. Andrews in Orlando, most of whom are on scholarships. Uh, St. Andrews is part of a statewide step-up-for-student scholarship funding organization for low-income and working-class students, one of 12 public and private schools in Florida to get the blue ribbon designation in 2009. And Trump used the school's uh, perceived success as an example for how other schools should operate across the country. And the president's education proposal, in addition to school choice and school vouchers, um, is to allow low-income students um, to, uh, as part of that school choice, to choose the school they want to attend, whether public, private, charter school or homeschooling, Trump said he can achieve this through school voucher programs, giving students money to attend private schools. And uh, so Friday's visit in Orlando is a positive one for those students. And then, you know, the first lady, which I put this off from yesterday, the Thursday's podcast, I wanted to finish off the week on this note. Uh, Melania Trump, the first lady, um, visited uh, New York Presbyterian Hospital. And the nods at National uh, Read Across America Day on Thursday and Dr. Seuss's birthday, uh, Melania Trump read the late author's book, uh, All the Places You'll Go, to a group of sick children in the playroom at New York Presbyterian Hospital uh, at the uh, Well Cor- uh, Cornell Medical Center. Um, and the First Lady apparently visits New York Presbyterian often um, in her personal private life, but now that she's the First Lady, she has to... Um, the press following her, and so they took some video, and it was uh, it was heartwarming to see her with the children there, reading to them and encouraging them 
to read, to get educated, um, and it was it was positive seeing the first lady do something uh, positive for the United States and uh, and positive for um, for children who were in the hospital there near Presbyterian, um, and uh, and showing those kids what um, what they can achieve, you know. Uh, the First Lady has a remarkable story as a legal immigrant uh, coming in uh, here on a on a visa and uh, coming in and just a remarkable that, uh, you know, the hard work uh, that pays off uh, by uh, just, you know, putting the time in, putting in the effort. And who knows? One day <laughs> you could be the First Lady, right? Am, am I right or am I right? Um, that wraps up the podcast for this Friday. Uh, we have the show on Sunday. 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time, all across uh, the United States and the world, NeilACurso.com. Uh, we will have a report on uh, drugs in local communities uh, and immigration, uh, as it pertains to immigration, with uh, Michael Cutler, retired Immigration and Naturalization Service agent. Uh, we'll probably discuss some on uh, veterans. So we my friend and uh, colleague Christian Lodagoski did an incredible, you know, came with me tonight. He was interested in going and um, just to see what these veterans go through. Again, I mean, it's sad, um, but it also inspires you to to do to do more to support these men and women who fought for us to be free. And uh, Christian texted me uh, that he had a great time and um, he's a good guy. And to do to give up your uh, Friday night to do that, uh, that's what life's all about. It's all about that. Uh, God bless you. God bless America. We'll talk to you Sunday at 12 noon Eastern on NeilAcruso.com. The Neil A. Caruso Show podcast is a production of Caruso Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining. Passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Caruso on social media. And log on to NeilAcruso.com to sign up for Caruso's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.